Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher and church planter in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for His sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome back to Lose Yourself. Today's episode, we rejoin our conversation with Ben Neiser, pastor of Mosaic Church in Provo, Utah, on the topic of discipleship. Talk to me about the dangers of kind of just flying, just dropping in and grabbing passages. Yeah, so when we think about proof texting is basically the practice of, I've got an ax to grind. (laughs) I've got a topic that I really want to, and I'm going to go find scripture, and then I'm pulling that scripture out of its context. The danger of that, again, you can go quickly into error. For instance, Matthew chapter 8, I'll give you, this is one of my favorite ones. Matthew chapter 8 is a passage where Jesus calms the storm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus calms the storm in verses 23 through 27. I've heard this preached in a very out-of-context way. Well, whatever storm is in your life, just have enough faith, and Jesus will calm the storms of your life. I, too, have heard this many a time. Right. When you pull this story out of its context— And you go, well, Ben, what's its context? And I would tell you, well, the entire chapter of of Matthew chapter 8. But more importantly, I would tell you the entire gospel of Matthew, okay, leading up to this point. Because Matthew, all the gospel writers, in a very methodical kind of closing argument statement in a courtroom type of thing, are drawing the audience in and they're giving you evidence after evidence after evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. So in order to understand the context of a specific passage in Matthew, you have to understand the whole book of Matthew and what it's really trying to say and who its audience is and who its author is. So when you look at Jesus calms the storm in Matthew 8, well, Jesus will calm the storms of your life. Well, when you read this, you kind of go, well, that kind of makes sense. And man, that that sounds really nice. And I've got a lot of storms in my life. And I'd love for Jesus, if I have enough faith, that he'll calm the storms in my life. And so very principle driven. It sounds good. The reality of Matthew chapter eight up until this point is that Matthew has been giving evidence after evidence after evidence that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews have been looking for. And up until this point, This story right here is one of the biggest trump cards that Matthew lays down. This is the first time in the book of Matthew that Jesus is worshipped. And when it says at the very end of this account, and the men marveled in some translation, and the men worshipped, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? What in the world are they saying? What Matthew's argument is, in its context, is Jesus is God, because they're asking a rhetorical question. What sort of man can speak into creation and creation obeys? To a Jewish audience, there's only one that has that type of authority, and it's God himself. 
So they're saying, what sort of man? And Matthew's trying to say, it's the God man. It's the God man. It's the, it's the beauty of the incarnation. And so the point of this story within its context is not that Jesus will calm the storms of your life. The point of the story is that Jesus is God. You have at that point, the emphasis on the right thing, a person, God, Jesus calms the storms of your life, puts, makes me the focal point Mm -hmm. of the passage. Whereas the focal point of the passage is God. Right. And the thing is, is that that still brings comfort. Yes. Because the God we serve is faithful and powerful. He's bigger than our problems. The other is just more of a transactional relationship between am I good enough? If I try hard enough, if I believe hard enough, then God's going to remove these things from me and make all of my dreams come true. That fails to convey that passage. Right. Right. And so that's that danger, right, of not understanding the general context. Here's a rule for me when it comes to establishing context and what the what the reformers also did. Mm-hmm. When we think about sola scriptura, one of the things that they said was, we're going to let scripture interpret scripture. So how do we go about doing that? Take this Matthew 8 passage, for instance. Well, what does the rest of Matthew 8 say in order for me to help, help me understand? What, what's the theme of Matthew chapter 8? What's the theme of the rest of the book of Matthew? What's the theme of the rest of the New Testament? Okay. And what's the theme of the Bible? 1 John chapter 2 is another very difficult passage that a lot of people go, wait a minute, what in the world is that saying? Does that say that we can lose our salvation? Because it says that they went out from us because they were never a part of us. What does that mean? Well, what does the rest of 1 John say? What does the rest of 1 John chapter 2 say? What does the rest of 1 John say? You can find the answer to that question that you might be wrestling with from the first John chapter two in first John chapter one. Okay. So, so when we think about how we develop and understand context, kind of bracket out and move out gradually from wherever that passage is to the, to the chapter that you're in, to the remainder of the book that you're in, to the remainder of the Testament that you're in to then the whole Bible. I love that because For so many people, they wrestle, especially initially. Mm -hmm. It's so foreign to them. And then you have to understand that, how do I get the context here? What's going to help me do this? And some, you know, there are many great additional resources that can help us in our Bible study. But like you just said, the Bible answers itself most of the time. Yes. If If we're willing to do the work. Yes. And what's really funny is everyone seems to think that the Bible should be easy. We should beat it just a little bit. It should make all sense and break it all. You know, someone's going to break it down for us so we can understand it. The fact of the matter is Americans spend a lot of time memorizing sports stats. My son, there's old mythologies with, with toys and movies and whatever that people will geek on all day and they won't sit there and go, I'm going to read first John to contextualize second John. And so what we have to be is students of his word. And again, that's why we're having a call to discipleship because that's for someone who wants to go beyond the surface to really dig to the meaningful parts of our faith. Right. And what's great out there, there's people who at times have been trained to question the Bible and its authority. 
And the word I have to say to that person today is there's good news. You can dig into it. It's there. Those answers are there. The Bible is reliable. There's some people who are afraid to read the Bible because they're afraid maybe it won't hold up. Mm-hmm. Well, it does hold up. Yes. And and you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to grow in your faith and really experience that reliability for yourself. And that will change your life. Mm-hmm. It'll change your passions. It'll pay, change everything about you. And so, wow, Ben, that was some great stuff. Now I want to talk about what most men are going to groan. So if you're a man out there listening uh, today, uh, get ready for it. Three, two, one biblical poetry. That just yeah. sounds painful. I mean, you know, if you look at a lot of preaching for men or the books that men consume as an adult outside of my scripture study, I cannot tell you that I have purchased or read poetry on my own since it was compelled in school. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of men who are like, well, I don't like what does poetry have to do with the Bible? Why did God put poetry in the Bible? Because I like my steps. Like for men, we like to read, you know, we like our bullet points, you know, get to the point. Mm-hmm. And, and what is the value of biblical poetry and what does it bring to our uh, experience? Yeah. It's, we love like the conquest of Canaan as men. It's yeah. like, it's like brave heart, but in the Bible, <laughs> it's true. You know, uh, we love the book of Joshua and judges and, you know, these types of things from the old Testament at least. Um, but yeah, the, probably the second most used genre in the Bible is biblical poetry. It's, it's poetic form. The entire book of Psalms, Mm -hmm. um, the book of Proverbs is written and structured in a Hebrew, uh, poetic form. Um, the, the overwhelming majority of every prophet of the Bible is written in poetic form. And, and so was there something cultural about that in the Jewish well, among, among the Jewish people. So cards on the table. Okay. I did not get my degree specifically in, in hermeneutics or in interpretation of biblical poetry, but it is my, it is a passion project of mine in the sense of, I want to help people understand God's word better and study it on their own. And so most people that I talk to avoid especially books like the prophetic books of the Bible, okay? The minor prophets, uh, those smaller books towards the end of the Old Testament that we would call the minor prophets, or even some of the bigger books that we have in the Old Testament of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Most people do not just run to those books and want to study them and want to read them on their own. Would you like to hear my typical understanding of, you know, you do the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and you do a few of the history books of the David, you get it kind of up to David, mm-hmm. maybe a few Psalms, and they kind of look at all the prophets and go, yeah, they all point to Jesus. And they just absolutely just leave it alone. Right. And so you're saying is there's, it's a, there's a like great wealth of information for people to experience if they're willing to go into that part of the Old Testament. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there, there should not be a passage of scripture that we avoid, right? I mean, Revelation, Jude, Jonah, like, I mean, there, there are, there's a lot of books of the Bible that are, can be difficult pills to swallow, 
Um, if you don't have a formal theological uh, training, they can be very intimidating books, you know, to, to study on your own. I know. So, like, first off, like, we know that, that these can be very difficult books. Now, let me give you just a few principles. Um, you know, I wrote this piece, you know, we've talked about it off air, like, wrote this piece called, I Don't Know What to Think About the Old Testament. And, and really, the, the piece was about approaching biblical poetic interpretation. So again, not application, but interpretation of biblical poetry. Um, first thing is, for the most part, it's, it's gaining a little bit of resurgence in the Gen Z crowd. Um, everybody's a musician or a poet or some form of self-expression. But if you're, if you're, you know, a millennial or older, more, more than likely you're not sitting around just reading books of poetry. Okay. Uh, that, that's your reality. And that's, that's fine. And, and for the most part, there's a lot of different reasons as to why. One, there was, there was a huge shift unless you went to a liberal arts college of some sort and got a liberal arts degree in any form. More than likely, your degree was heavily focused, as well as your high school and junior high experiences, heavily focused on the sciences, mathematics, and then the basic structure of English and reading comprehension. Not necessarily in poetry and in arts, okay? Those were extracurricular types of things. You had to go looking for those things. Those things didn't naturally find you. So poetry, for a lot of us, you know, millennial or above, is somewhat of a dying form of communication. We're out of time, but we'll pick up this conversation on our next episode. This has been Lose Yourself. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a ministry of Grace Church and Mike Cunningham and a production of Key Radio.